Um, open up to the book of Jude, please. Well, we've got a good, good visual there. We are going to talk about why it's so important to contend for the faith and also talk about what that means. Why do we need to contend? I mean, didn't Jesus do it? Didn't he say, it is finished on the cross? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And now there's work to do by those of us who are followers of his. Um, not where salvation is concerned, but the work he gives us to do. And contending for the faith, protecting and defending the truth is one of those things. So this is a message today. It's really a warning for today's church because it was a warning for the church of Jude's time and the apostles. Um, yeah, they had to be warned as early as that was in the church, in church history. There were already enemies of the faith, enemies of the truth. And that's why it's so necessary to talk about these things because nothing new under the sun. Um, the same enemy, Satan, is deceiving people and using human beings, using people, minions, uh, disciples of his, followers of his, some knowingly, some unknowingly, to deceive others and to get people away from God. And we'll talk about that in a minute, how uh, they do that. But it's a warning today for us to discern the truth and to warn about false teachers. Um, it's nothing new. False teachers have been around since the beginning. Um, early church leaders were warned about them. And today's church, unfortunately, as we look at America and the I'm not talking about denominations. I'm talking about these doctrines of demons that Paul warns Timothy about that are being spread through the American church. We could list them. We could go on and list them, but there's, there's danger in following things that are not of the scriptures, things that sound good on the surface. So we're going to talk about that today. Some have accepted these unbiblical ideas because at first glimpse, maybe they appeal to emotion, maybe they sound good, some of these teachings, but Jude, really, I love what he writes, and we'll read the, the letter in a minute. Um, it's easy to fall into deception. That's where we have to be warned. Take heed lest ye fall. Uh, so we are not above uh, being tempted to fall or being deceived, so we have to guard our, against that ourselves. Um, Few people really understand the spiritual dynamic going on. It is a war against the truth. It is a war against God as creator. Well, first of all, back that up one step. It's a war against the very truth that God exists, that there is a God, that there is one true living God, because the rest are false, dead gods, idols, Isaiah writes a lot about graven images that man forms and crafts and shapes. You can have idols in your life. It doesn't have to be something that's up on the mantle that's carved out by man. You can have other idols in your life. Um, the Apostle Paul spoke and warned the uh, elders in Ephesus. Uh, I think, do I have this? Yes, I do. Whoop, there we go. Oh, no, not quite. Hang on. I'm learning. Oh, there's the title. All right, Contending for the True Biblical Faith. This is the one. No, that's not it either. But it's a good introduction here. <laughs> Let's talk about seven keys. I told you not to give me the, the controls of this, of this thing. So seven keys, uh, key sections in Jude's letter. The warnings of history to the ungodly, contending for the one 
true faith of Christ, old and new false teachers, and the apostates is what they are referred to in the scriptures, the doom of the ungodly. I know Jude is a very short letter, but he writes about their destruction and their doom. Apostates predicted early on in the church, false teachers were predicted. It wasn't, I guess it was prophetic because they came and they're here, right, even today. Uh, keep yourself in God's love. That's one thing that we can do. Give glory to the only eternal God and Savior. Okay, now we'll hopefully go to that scripture in Acts. All right, Acts 20, 29 through 31. Paul writes, this is to the Ephesian church. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. He's talking about men who would want to deceive believers. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things. Why? To draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert. Oh, and then I love that last uh, line there, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. That's a pretty good picture of the Apostle Paul who had a heart for the church of Jesus Christ and wanted to protect believers and defend the truth. He admonished them with tears. I love the way that's worded. You can, you can just sense the struggle and his striving to do that. So now in leadership positions today, in modern churches, deceivers have crept in, slithered, slithered through American denominations, infecting countless victims. Some are very subtle in their approach, while others are blatantly heretical. Um, oh, there's so many. The word faith, the prosperity gospel. I, I, you know, I was just watching an article or watching a video I'm going to interview someone tomorrow about uh, NAR, the New Apostolic Reformation. And uh, one of the things that they were saying in this other video was the fact that if, if they have these powerful gifts of healings at these conferences, these, these word faith healers, why aren't the hospitals and the, the children's hospitals and the cancer wards, why aren't they cleared out? Why aren't they going into the hospitals and, and healing people? Isn't that a good question? Fair question? Yeah. So some are subtle, some are blatantly, openly heretical. Some deny the deity of Jesus Christ. Some promote compromise under the guise of love. Today, under the guise of tolerance. Let's compromise just a little bit, just to be tolerant. Ambiguity. Tolerance, homosexuality, mysticism, social justice, globalism, universalism. Everyone's going to eventually be saved and go to heaven. Why do we need to you know, focus on just you know, this one thing that's going to save us? Everyone. Jesus, is he really the only way? And that's one of the questions that has been asked by skeptics and mockers for years, hundreds of years, thousands. So some of the false teachers today, they're under the umbrella of what uh, some of us understand as the emergent church, which really got going in the 70s, 80s kicked into high gear in the 90s, um, generally falls under what I label it as the cult of liberalism, meaning liberal theology, not political liberal liberalism. Political liberalism is one thing. You know exactly where someone like a Nancy Pelosi 
comes from as far as what she believes about abortion and other things. You know what political liberalism is. We're talking about liberal ideology that calls itself Christian. That's the danger of today's church. We're not talking politics. We're talking about liberalism that has infected the church. So this man-pleasing movement uh, prefers to conform to this world and rejects the inerrancy of Scripture. They revel and celebrate the idea that uh, we're a postmodern or a post-Christian society, as if that's something to celebrate, right, in America. And often, here's one of the warnings from Scripture, Paul writes about this, they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power of God and the Holy Spirit. They can fool those who are lacking a biblical foundation. Um, I think I have this quote here. This is a great quote from Charles Spurgeon. He said this, discernment is not a matter of knowing the difference between right and wrong. It's knowing the difference between right and almost right. Isn't that good? Deception is subtle. If you're a disciple, a follower of Christ, a lover of the truth, we have to understand the times in which we live. There's always been a war against God, a war against the truth from the very beginning. Why wouldn't there be in, today, in our day and age today, in 2020? Why wouldn't there be in America, a country that was founded on these Judeo-Christian biblical, these biblical principles and values? Why wouldn't there be a war against who we are, as, not, not only as Christians, but as Americans? Um, thankfully, Jude gave us a detailed letter, an example to follow on how to recognize false teachers, how to deal with false teachers, and apostates who come against the Lord Jesus Christ and the eternal truths of Scripture. Apostasy, for those of you younger believers, um, this simply means a departure from the truth. Apostasy, you're departing, you're abandoning the truth, the true biblical faith of Christ. So there's some historical context, and then we'll read the letter of Jude. Uh, it was written about 69 AD, and um, the book of Jude, uh, the name Jude is Judah in Hebrew. Jude is Greek. Um, it was written about 35 years or so after Christ ascended to heaven. So that's the time frame you have in mind. Within 35 years, there were still eyewitnesses of the risen Christ, and yet there's so many people warning about false teachings in the church. It's a head-scratcher. Well, it's not when you understand the heart of man and the wickedness be behind this. Um, John tells us that um, none of Jesus' brothers believed in him. That's an interesting point we'll get to in a minute because Jude was one of four half-brothers of Jesus. I don't know if you guys realize that. Jude was not an apostle. Jude was not one of the 12. Um, he was a brand new convert to the faith. He was not one of the originals that lived and walked with Jesus, but he was a witness, eyewitness to his resurrection. Um, but yet, with all the things that Jude could write about, his only letter, this is the only letter that bears his name, what did he write about? Contending for the faith. Warning about false teachers. And uh, in, in Matthew, Matthew lists the four half-brothers of Jesus. James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, which is Jude in Greek. The Apostle John uh, says, and I think in one other gospel, talks about how none of Jesus' half-brothers believed in him until after the resurrection. They were skeptics. 
And Jude begins his letter by referring to himself as a servant of Christ and a brother of James. Well, we know who Jesus is, but which James? Um, James not only wrote the letter bearing his name in the New Testament, but he was a leader of the Jerusalem Council. If you want to check out the background on James, look at Acts chapter 15. He was a pillar in the early church, and this established some credibility for Jude right up front because he was a, a brother of James. But James, what could have caused these men to go from skeptics, even before the Passover, when Jesus, that week that Jesus rode in on, on the donkey through the eastern gate into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry, they were skeptics until after he was crucified and resurrected. Um, what could have caused these men to be doubters and skeptics to the point that they were bold in sharing the gospel and standing up for the truth, contending for the faith to the point of being martyrs, willing to be killed? Would you, would you die for a lie? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Um, so Paul gives us the answer for James, which probably is the same thing when we look at the conversion of Jude. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, the gospel, the resurrected body, the resurrection chapter in the Bible, phenomenal chapter in scripture. In 1 Corinthians 15, 7, it says, Jesus appeared to James. After all the others, the apostles and the ones on the road to Emmaus, the hundreds of people, it said that he appeared to more than 500 brothers at the same time. And then he appeared to James in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 15. So Peter warned also in advance of false teachers. He warned, Jude wrote about their presence in the church. Peter warned, they're coming, watch out. Jude said, they're here, they're in the church, we better contend for the faith. So uh, in writing to several of the churches, Paul also wrote about deceptions like Gnosticism, legalism, worldly philosophy. Um, Colossians 2 verse 8, check out that verse. And there's another one here from 2 Peter chapter 2, which we're going to get into 2 Peter next week. False prophets arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned, 2 Peter 2, uh, 1 and 2. Now, four reasons that the book of Jude was included in the canon of the perfection of God's word, of scripture. Uh, his being related to Jesus didn't hurt, <laughs> but he didn't use that, right? Um, the fact that Jude was an eyewitness to the resurrected Christ. Also, probably most importantly, is the inspired content of this short letter. And then uh, Clement of Rome in AD 96 supported Jude as authentic. So those were four of the reasons. It's believed that by the time Jude wrote this, that all the other apostles except John had already been martyred. And he's still, he didn't say, let's, okay, we're, Christians are getting killed. Our brothers and sisters are getting killed. Let's just kind of lay low for a while and, and go into hiding. What did he say? Preach the gospel. Contend for the faith. Why? Because you know it's true, and you know that's the only way people are going to get saved. So Christianity was under severe political attack from Rome. Um, Jews were coming against Christians. Infiltration of the church by apostates. So the true church 
has always been attacked, both from without and from within. Uh, So Jude alludes to nine different illustrations from the Old Testament. He describes the character and the wickedness, the personal lives of deceivers. And I think I have traits of an apostate. Now this is from the book of Jude. Ungodly, morally perverted, they deny Christ, they defile the flesh, they're rebellious, they're ignorant, They're dreamers, they're self-destructive, they're grumblers, they're fault-finders, self-seeking, arrogant, flatterers, mockers. Mockers is a key. We see that all over today. They're divisive. Let's let's stop there a minute. They're going to call you and I divisive for standing up for the truth. A false teaching is going to be coming in and and leading people astray. You and I are going to say, well, wait a minute, the Bible says this. Doesn't Scripture teach this? And, this is, and they're going to call you and I divisive for pointing that out. But who's dividing them? It's the false teacher. It's the deception that's dividing them. So they're divisive, they're worldly-minded, and they're without the Holy Spirit. Now, I've got three versions of Jude here, but since most of you, I believe, at this church go with New King James, I'm going to read Jude out of the New King James. Um, I think I have some... Oh, anyway, let's just go here. Jude 1, a a bond servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified, set apart by God the Father, and preserved or kept in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, Though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh. They reject authority and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feasts, while they feast without fear, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are 
clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves from the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved black, the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time that would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and on some, have compassion, making a distinction, but others with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Imagine receiving this letter from Jude in the early church. And so, so much in here. So now, um, right from the start, bondservant, he submitted the lordship of Christ, so he he's recognizes, I'm a servant of Christ, brother of James. He's writing to believers, those who are called. He uses the word called, beloved, and those who are preserved, kept for salvation, kept for Jesus Christ. This doesn't refer to an invitation. This refers to those who have already accepted salvation, to those who already have a relationship with, with Christ, the called, the beloved. So Christians are called out of the world. They're called from the evil spirit and temper of it. They're called above the world to higher and better things. They're called to heaven, things unseen and eternal. Called from sin to Christ, from vanity to seriousness, from uncleanness to holiness. So that's called. I know there's a lot there. That word called means so much. But we're going to go kind of quickly through this. Beloved by God. Um, he loves all mankind. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But there is an unconditional love he has toward his children. We are adopted into the family of believers. We have an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade away. We are his beloved children. Those who believe and are now set apart we heard the word sanctification, sanctified. That simply means set apart for God's purposes. And that, by the way, is a process that every one of us is in in our walk with Christ, in the process of sanctification. 
because um, of our status in the kingdom, our allegiance is elsewhere. As we live here in the world, we're not of the world. What does it say in Philippians 3.20? We are citizens of heaven. Philippians 1.6 reminds us that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. God preserves and he keeps the believer and secures us for eternal life. We have assurance, friends. We are assured. It says in Ephesians, I believe, that it says the Holy Spirit is a deposit in our, in our soul, in our spirit, in our own spirit. The Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come, guaranteeing our inheritance on this hope we live. And this hope is an anchor to our soul, it says in Hebrews 6, 19. Um, in verse 3, the key verses in this are 3 and 4, obviously, the main verses um, but contending for the faith. Jude was preparing to, and we don't know how this went down. It would, it would be great to have more, but this is what we have. He, was, he intended to write about the unification of the believers of the body of Christ, the common salvation that, that we all share, that the early church shared. But, he says, he was compelled to send this appeal to fight for the truth of the gospel since false teachers were starting to infect the early church, Jude said, this is my one chance to confront the problem and to warn my brothers and sisters. So contend early, earnestly for the faith. Contend is it's a very strong word, right? And then he adds earnestly, even stronger, striving, struggling with the power that works within us, the Holy Spirit. Notice the urgency also to stand against, not only against apostates, but strongly to defend the faith and defend the truth. In order to contend for the gospel of salvation, revealed truth from God, it is imperative that we know sound doctrine. It is imperative that we are growing, yes, in the grace, but in the truth and knowledge of God's word, not to have a bunch of head knowledge stored up and be studying eight hours a day and have your nice little, you know, co what is it, a uh, little area at home where you just go in and hibernate and got all these books and you're studying. That we need to get out in the world too, but we do need to study and have that knowledge and apply that knowledge, apply what we know. Um, so we are to also be discerning to determine truth from error and be willing to confront false teaching. What do most of us do? I'm guilty of this myself, at least in my earlier Christian days, more so. Uh, you hear something false, you see people potentially being deceived, and now we have social media that shows what a lot of people believe, and there's some wacky stuff out there, what people are falling for within the denominations and the churches. And what I used to do is say, oh, man, God help them, and walk away. But we are to warn if we love them, if you see someone heading for an accident, heading for a, a cliff or something, are you going to say, man, they're, <laughs> they're going to be in a lot of pain? No. <laughs> they're gonna, they're, that fall is going to be pretty hard. No, you're going to say, wait, stop. This is the truth. Come back to the word of God 
And there are so many denominations and churches today that are way out there in what they're teaching. Hyper grace is one of them, and I don't have enough time to get into that. <laughs> Let's stick to Jude here. But the key verses, we're going to spend more, most of our time in verses 3, 4, um, 5. So it says, Once for all handed down to the saints. Once for all. What was handed down? The truth. These doctrines. By the apostles. The original 12, 11 <laughs> disciples. It was handed down to the other brothers and sisters who also became disciples and followers of Christ. That was handed down. Men would eventually add to that. And there are warnings in Scripture about adding to or taking away from the Word of God. Um, God has shown the way of salvation through Jesus Christ, and His revelation is final. Who said, all authority has been given to me? Jesus. All. Not some, not a little bit, not a third. I don't share my authority with Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And we have the scripture and the canon is closed. And that's what we have to go by. That is our foundation of truth. It's been delivered and cannot be edited. Some try to edit it, but more, more often people try to add to it. Oh, I know it says yeah, uh, grace through faith, but let's add this. I think we should do this too. And that's how other religions and denominations get started um, or get going. So verse 4, uh, knowing it's our privilege and responsibility not only to know Christ better, to study the word, but to preach the truth and fight to observe it. Why? Because he says certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Now in America, I mean in the American churches, a lot of them start that way. We'll give credit where credit is due. Some of them, even some of the most heretical church leaders, I will give most of them credit, not all of them. Most of them probably started out sincere, thinking, hey, I'm going to go serve God. I'm going to go preach the gospel. I'm going to go. And then they get big, puffed up. They get a following. Pride comes in. People start latching on to them instead of latching on to Jesus. And look out. Certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Sounds like the church in America today. This carries the idea of infiltration, infestation. And note, this happened just decades after the resurrection. That's when Jude was writing this. Um, false teachers often pretend to be one of us, blending in outwardly, while inwardly a lot of them aren't even saved or converted. Their intentions are to get you to doubt God and his word, to confuse, discourage you, because Christ hasn't returned yet, so he must not be a God who keeps his promises. They'll discourage you, or they'll try, and if you're not grounded on the truth, then you go, well, yeah, it's been a while. They'll try to confuse you about doctrine. They'll try to lead people astray. Again, nothing new under the sun. What it does... What did Satan say in Genesis 3.1 in the garden to deceive? Yes. Did God really say dot, dot, dot? Understand, if, if you leave with nothing else today other than we need to contend for the faith and how to be discerning, understand that principle. 
that the enemy today, the enemy's still here. Satan's still around, and he uses people. The enemy uses that same concept, that same principle to try to get us to doubt. Did God really say homosexuality is a sin? Now we have a presidential candidate, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, running for the ticket, one of the top three frontrunners on the Democratic Party nomination. Uh, a lot of people, more and more people are saying, well, he's a gay Christian. Well, how could he be so bad? Did God really say Boy, that word sin and abomination, those are, those are harsh words. Did God really mean that? Did God really mean in Romans 1 that that's unnatural? That's unhealthy? It could lead to diseases? Did God really say that? No, because no, these, are, these are wonderful people. They're nice people. Maybe they're nice people. But does that change the truth of God's word? Did God really say it's by Faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace. But I've I, I got to work to be a better person before I come to God. I've got uh, to speak in tongues before I'm saved. That's what another false teaching is floating around out there. I just had someone, anyway. <laughs> I know, I know. Focus, focus. So then Jude warns. <laughs> I love you guys. Jude warns um, about these men. Ungodly, they perverted grace, they denied Christ. Ungodly. We have an understanding of what godlessness is, right, in America? They pervert grace, the grace of God, and they deny the deity of Christ. In the church today, you'd be surprised how many people believe there are many paths to salvation, many pathways. They all, all these different pathways lead to the same God and salvation. Here's the, the, the heresy and the truth of that idea. Ready? All pathways do not lead to Jesus because he, is the only, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. As Joel read, no one comes to the Father but by me. And make no mistake, he said he is God. I and the Father are one. But all pathways also lead to God, but not to salvation. Let me clarify. Every human being will stand before God in judgment. In that light, all roads lead to God, but some will end up in eternal damnation and destruction and eternal hellfire. Others will end up in heaven, in paradise with him. But we will all stand before him. So that's the deception in that idea. The idea they want to put forward is the universalist idea that everyone's going to be saved eventually. What does that teaching encourage you to do in this life, right? Well, if everyone is going to be saved eventually, what difference does it make how we live here? What difference does it make about pursuing God, pursuing holiness? What difference does it make if we're all going to be together anyway? I'm going to do whatever I want. Eat, drink, tomorrow I might die. It's party up, party up, party till it's 20.99. <laughs> Seriously. So all pathways do not lead to salvation in God's presence forever. That's how you clarify that lie. 
Okay. There are a lot of popular leaders today that, that uh, fit these profiles of denying the deity of Jesus Christ. It's a cancer in the church today, and we have to be discerning. We're warned. Jude warns us. Peter warns us. Paul warns us. Jesus warned us. You would think that it's something we would take heed to. Know the word of God, you guys. Um, <clears throat> there, here's a word that's in Jude uh, for licentiousness. There's different translations on that. Different licentiousness is in the, in the, the, um, the New American Standard as well. Does anybody have a different word there in Jude 1 verse 4? Um, what's that? Say that again. Lasciviousness. That's a word you don't hear often today, huh? <laughs> Licentiousness, lasciviousness. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. We know the concept. What is it? I like that. Is that NIV? <laughs> it's changed. I know, no. I have an NIV from the 1980s. It's a great, it was a great translation until I started tweaking little things and changing pronouns and other things. But license for immorality. License for evil. Debauchery. This is the idea of hypergrace, actually, because who would deny the grace of God, right? But some churches take it a little too far and that it's all about God's grace. His grace is wonderful. Amazing grace. It's amazing. But they'll take it to an extent that, okay, now, by the grace of God, I can live however I want because I can go and ask for forgiveness after I sin. So we're mocking the spirit of grace. It's a license. Using God's grace as a license to sin. Okay. Um, licentiousness. So false teachers often pretend to be one of us. They blend in. Um, maybe on the outside, though, but inwardly, if we could only see people's hearts, right? But we can't. Only God knows a person's heart. Unrestrained vice. That's what that word licentiousness, that, all these different translations, the idea is unrestrained vice or gross immorality. How dangerous it is to think that we have a license to sin just because God is loving and forgiving. Wow. Um, then he says, our master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So Jude immediately declares his allegiance, and he emphasizes here in verse 4, Jesus is our only, meaning the true believers, one and only. False teachers and false religions pervert what Scripture declares is true about Jesus. That's one way you can recognize what a false teaching is. It will pervert or distort what is true about the person <clears throat> of Jesus Christ. Um, let's see, I think I have another slide here I want to get to. I think, but it... now it won't move. It's frozen. 
All right. Jed, if you can come and give me a hand here and figure out what, what I did. There's what? Oh, it did? This is so small. <laughs> can you come on now? This, I'm looking at this little thing. And you got the big screen. I'm trying to figure out if that's the, if that's the next one we want to go to, but I can't. Yes. Yes. Five. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, it's getting hot up here. Oh, technology, man. You got to love it and hate it. Um, okay. So Jude, in these verses, Jude 5 through 7, Jude wants to remind believers of the consequences of sin and rebellion. Three examples in these next three verses, and we'll go a little quicker now. Still don't know what happened to my phone. It looks frozen, but evidently things are still moving. Um, he warns how unbelieving Israel perished in the wilderness, and he reminds us of the fallen angels, those who rebelled. Also, he points out the uh, immorality and destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, and that is our, an example for us, it says. Uh, Romans 15, 4 I think that's the right scripture. It says, everything that was written in the past was written for our instruction. So if you take, I mean, there are many other verses like that, you guys, but if you take just that one verse in the New Testament, it's referring to what? The Old Testament and the prophecies. Everything was written so that we would learn and discern. Everything was written for our instruction. So saving people destroyed those who did not believe. I'm in verse 5. It is, all, it is not only the historical but prophetic um, truth about the end times. God miraculously delivered the nation of Israel from the bondage of Egypt. That's the, what they're talking about, what he's referring to. But they doubted his promise to get them into the promised land. And they rebelled. They got bored. They got whatever. They rebelled against him. And they didn't make it. They eventually abandoned the faith. They grumbled against God. Boy, can we learn. How many of us grumble against God about what he is doing, what he is not doing in our lives? He's not answering my prayers. That generation, though, died in the wilderness. Verse 6, um, angels fell. Uh, Genesis 6, you can mark that down. If you want to just go and read the first couple verses, I think, of Genesis 6 about that, what he's referring to, the angels that fell. But judgment, it says... And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper boat. He has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Wow. Do you see what he's saying there? Judgment and great? What does that mean for us, though, who are saved? Judgment is going to be a great day because we know that's when we're that's when our hope is going to be fulfilled, right? When Jesus is going to return to judge, judgment, the great day of the Lord. We'll talk about that next week. Sodom and Gomorrah is used, the destruction of these two cities is used over 20 times in the New Testament. Some people would suggest, remember what we said earlier? Did God really say or did he really mean? Sodom and Gomorrah weren't real places. That didn't really happen well, then, throw out the whole Bible. Throw it away. Because Sodom and Gomorrah are mentioned 20 times in the New Testament. 
Same thing with Jonah, one of our dogs named Jonah. Um, could, could, God, could God really get a big fish or a whale to swallow a human being? <laughs> Gosh, it's totally putting God in a box. Oh, that's just a fable. So you're saying, let me work with you here. If you're saying that if there was a God and he created the heavens and the earth by his great power and outstretched arm, he could not command one of his created beings, a fish, to swallow up a swimming or sinking man and preserve him in his stomach for three days. So some of these arguments are tedious. But we need to address them because a lot of people say, Jonah, that was just a story that kids read in Sunday school. Well, then Jesus is a liar because Jesus talked about Jonah, the sign of Jonah. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the big fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the tomb, in the heart of the earth. So Jesus is a liar if the story of Jonah isn't true. Are you following me here? They will use whatever they can use to try to mock God, to try to make you doubt. Did God really say, Jonah, Noah, right? Okay, so eternal fire, a.k.a. hellfire, is a fire that can never be quenched. <laughs> That's heavy, isn't it? Now, this, uh, verse 9, jump into verse 9 here. Michael the archangel. Oh, wait a minute. Verse 8, one more concept. We already talked a little bit about it. Um, these men reject authority. The authority of Jesus. The authority of Scripture. The authority of Almighty God. As if there's another authority somewhere else. In another book. In another religion in another ism, in another practice, in another denomination. What did Jesus say again? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So um, verse 9, Michael, the archangel, this is the only place in Scripture where this was written. It doesn't mean it didn't happen. This is inspired by God. All Scripture is inspired by God, right? And profitable for teaching, 2 Timothy 3.16. So, Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil, in the, this is in the spirit realm now, argued about the body of Moses, whatever that argument was about Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Michael the archangel, known as the chief angel of God, that watches over Israel and leader of the holy angels, who's also mentioned in Daniel 10, by the way, about spiritual warfare and prayer, how prayers are sometimes answered. Sometimes there's a delay. There's spiritual warfare in the process of our prayers and our re requesting something from God or petitioning God. It doesn't happen right away. God's answer is sometimes yes, sometimes no, but oftentimes not, not yet. Wait. Not yet. And in, in this uh, context of Daniel 10, it was three weeks, 21 days. Michael the archangel was battling the prince of Persia in the heavenlies. And it, it, it explains the delay in God's answer to the prayer of Daniel. It took 21 days for Daniel to get the answer to the prayer. 
So, and he gave Daniel and us, now that we have some scriptures here, Daniel 10, the insight on how sometimes our prayers, God hears them immediately in the name of Jesus. We go right to him, he hears our prayers, and the answer just doesn't come for a while. And we kind of go, did you hear? Can you hear? Of course. So Daniel 10. But the one point I want to bring out from verse 9, the Lord rebuke you um, when you're dealing with demons, and they are real. Otherwise, Jesus is a liar. And the, throughout the Gospels and what Paul wrote about in Ephesians 6, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. He cautions to say, do not address demons face to face. But you have denominations that, hey, let me talk to you, devil, and start talking to him. I mean, they're, by faith, I'm going to do this. Uh, yeah, by faith, you are nothing without Christ and the Holy Spirit. So he says, you say, the Lord rebuke you in the name of Jesus. So you're not the one doing the rebuking. Why? You don't have the power. Of course, we do have the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So I'll go by this example and say, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Get thee behind me, Jesus said. We can say, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Um, let's see. The devil is, the, Satan means accuser or slanderer. He's an accuser of the brethren, isn't he? A railing judgment uh, in verse uh, 9 and 10. Interesting that Michael had to say, the Lord rebuke you. And that, not making a judgment ourselves, but letting God do it or rebuking. Um, God's sovereign power. Go to God. Use that power to intervene in the name of Jesus instead of trying to attack it yourself. Um, Verse 11, I just want to mention something about the rebellion of Korah. Korah being a Levite, he had duties in the tabernacle of God, but he rebelled against the authority of Aaron's priesthood. He and 250 Jewish leaders at the time rejected God's leadership, God's anointed leadership of Moses and Aaron. Korah and 250 with them rejected Moses and Aaron. As a result, they came under divine judgment. So that's what Jude is referring to in verse 11. I like verse 12, some of these descriptors here. Um, clouds without water. When you see a cloud, think about you're in Arizona or Nevada, or you know, and you're in the desert and you see a, a, what looks to be a rain cloud. It gives you hope. Oh, my thirst is going to be quenched. Jude says these false teachers are like clouds without water. At first glimpse, it's like, oh, that looks good. Oh, it gives you a little bit of hope, and then it leaves you dry and empty. That's what these false teachings do. Clouds without water. Apostates bring hope of rain, but fail to satisfy. Empty clouds promising spiritual life, but bringing death. This next analogy, trees without fruit. We know what that's like. Remember Jesus cursed the fig tree? The fig tree was in leaf. And if I remember right, <clears throat> and the fig trees in that area, particularly Jerusalem, um, the figs come on first and then the leaves grow. Is, did, is that, do I have that right? I think I read that somewhere. Regardless, you've got a fig tree in leaf. That means the fruit should be ripe. And Jesus approached the fig tree. There was nothing there and he cursed it. So Jude... And Peter also refers to false teachers as 
trees without fruit. They look like they might offer something, but they'll leave you hungry. They'll leave you hungry for more. I'll tell you what they'll leave you. They'll leave you hungry for the truth. Um, false teachers claim to produce and give you the air of success or spiritual maturity, but they deliver emptiness. Um, see if I can get this next one up here. What am I on? Yes, that's it. 12 and 13. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dub I like twice dead or doubly dead, too. <laughs> it's like you're dead once. Dead twice must be a really bad thing if you're already dead once, right? Twice dead, doubly dead. So trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted. What happens when you take a nice tree or a plant out of the ground, uproot it? It's going to die. Um, wild waves of the sea casting up their own shame like foam. Wandering stars. Another translation says shooting stars. And aren't some of these apostles or reverends or false teachers or fake faith healers or evangelists, aren't they like shooting stars? What does a shooting star do? Flashes across the sky. You go, oh, wow, look at that. You're, it, it grabs your attention real quick, and then it's gone. So Jude looks at false teachers like, Psh, shooting star. It leaves you with nothing. But that, oh, what was that? That was, that was kind of cool. Leaves you just waiting for more. <laughs> also, for whom these false teachers, um, bl black darkness is reserved for them. That's interesting. As if darkness is not enough. Black darkness. Paul does this a lot too. Jude did it here. Whenever there's a word like contend, when you add a descriptor to it, you, you want to hammer that home. Contend earnestly for the faith. It means wake up. Jesus said, watch and pray. Watch out that no one deceives you. Remember the disciple said, when will these things happen? Jesus said, he didn't say when. He said, first thing out of his mouth, watch out that no one deceives you. When will all this thing, when will some of the signs that watch out that no one deceives you? But when, I know it's going to be exciting, all these signs and all we know what's going to happen, what was prophesied, watch out that no one deceives you. Get in the word and know the word of God. Okay. Black darkness. That just that stood out to me as like darkness, black darkness. <laughs> Verse 14, many thousands of his holy ones, not necessarily a prophecy from the book of Enoch, but a reference to the known tradition about Christ, the return of Christ and future judgment. Holy ones here may refer to either angels or believers. Um, believers will have a role in the coming kingdom of Christ, but angels' role What's their role? Executioners of God's judgment. Um, verse 15, Jude uses the word ungodly four times. Ungodly men, ungodly sinners, ungodly deeds. Deeds done in an ungodly manner. But notice also, it's not only actions, deeds, things done in an ungodly way, but he also condemned what is spoken. Things that were said against Jesus. 
which they have done, and all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Then it talks about grumblers finding fault, following after their own lusts. What are the three battlegrounds? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Following after your own lusts. Um, telling people what they want to hear. Oh, Lord, help our church in America. Telling people what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear. People need the truth. People need the whole counsel of God. But what so many of the more famous um, pastors and motivational speakers in America and the United States of Entertainment, most of them, okay, I, I won't, don't even need to say most. I said a good number of them tell people what they want to hear. Oh, my ears are itching. Tell me, well, that sounds good. Give me more. Give me more of that. Grace, I can have this. I can be blessed. I can be favored. I can have prosperity. I can be valued. I know you love me, God. I know you want to give me what blesses my life. It's all about me. Jeez, what did Jesus say? Deny yourself. <laughs> Paul, humble yourself. What, what, what do these, some of these teachers say? Bless myself. Bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. Nothing wrong with asking God for blessings, but in perspective and in context, let's keep it according to God's word and understanding our Christian walk. Um, I love verse 17. But you... He says this twice at the end, but you. So there's a contrast here. He's been railing against false teachers and people who are lying to the body of Christ, lies who are being believed on social media, on YouTube, on whatever else, wherever sermons are going out, these lies are being believed, and a lot of people are starting to follow after them because they sound good, and it's just so temporary. Shooting stars, right? Clouds without water. Um, but you... Remember words spoken by the apostles. You ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there is a church history where the truth is concerned. It was handed down once and for all to the saints, and now it is inspired, it is done, the canon is closed, and we have Scripture in our hands Thankfully to the printing press and modern technology on our iPhones, we have scripture that is divine, that is God's word. And so verse 18, the last time refers to these days. We're living in some of the last days. We're in the church age. The last days, the last times. Um, the apostles, they wanted to protect by the Holy Spirit this next generation of believers, and that's what Jude is speaking into here. Uh, the, the church age from the time of the first appearance of Jesus until the Messiah returns. So I think I have another scripture from Second Peter. Yes. Know this first of all, and we're seeing it, right? But understand, he really wants to get this down. In the last days, mockers will come. Mockers. Jude mentions mockers here. They deny either, either God's existence, the truth of Jesus, the deity of Christ. They, they deny future judgment. Scoffers is another word used. Oftentimes they ridicule or mock the return of Jesus and those who follow him. Um, 
they justify their sinful living, ungodly living. You know, the popular uh, belief today is that there's, is there really a hell, an actual literal place of judgment and eternal fire? Hell, is that? I mean, I know Jesus said there was, but come on, is there, is there, could there really be a, you know what I mean? Mockers, scoffers, they get you, they try to get you to doubt God's word. Mockers will come. They're here. <laughs> they're here, not in this church, <laughs> but they're in, they're all around us. Verse 19, they cause divisions. They're worldly-minded and devoid of the Spirit. They stir up debates, and they accuse others of being divisive. When you stand for the truth, right? Have you experienced that? If you haven't, you need to get off the bench and into the game. Please, speak the truth in love, but please speak the truth. There are lives at stake, and I mean eternal lives. If people haven't heard the truth or don't know the truth, they may not even be saved, some of these people. Um, and they're believing these lies, a lot of people. And we, this is where we have to be patient and discerning. Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us. Because some people have come to be deceived, and they don't know any better. They're, they believe what maybe some preacher said, and maybe they haven't studied the scriptures. Maybe they don't have that solid biblical worldview that we're encouraged to have, and they believe them. They're not the bad guy. They're not bad people, but they're just wrong. They have been deceived. But then there, there, there are the deceivers that purposely want to get you to fall, leave, abandon God, doubt the faith. They're, those are the mockers and the scoffers. Um, they, <laughs> I like how it says devoid of the Spirit. Is to, that means to not have eternal life, spiritual life at all. But they arrogantly claim to have all the answers, don't they? They lead many astray. They put up a good front. Verse 20, another one. Here it comes. But you, there's twice now. So he's making another contrast, talking about these guys, talking about deceivers and those who have been deceived following some false religion or teaching. And now he says, but you, right? <clears throat> Building yourselves up. Here's one thing we can do. How? On our faith. Building yourselves up on your most holy faith. How? One, one way. Also, study the scriptures, know the word of God, grow in the knowledge of Christ, but praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. And then, this is how we do it. We're waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Like it says at the end of, I think, uh, Titus, not the end, but the middle of Titus there, waiting for the blessed hope and the glorious return of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Look up Titus sometime and look at how he worded that. We're waiting for the return of our blessed hope of our great God and Savior. Jesus is Lord. He is our great God and our Savior. And then uh, it talks about having mercy on some. So divine truth has been given through the apostles and prophets so that we can strengthen the foundation of our faith in the word of God. And then we apply it in our everyday lives, hopefully. And this is a call to pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. When he says here, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God, waiting expectantly, a call to remain obedient, 
with a view of his return. That's We're always um, cultivating that eternal perspective. A call to remain obedient. Jesus said, if we love him, what will we do? We'll keep his commandments. Waiting anxiously refers to eager anticipation of Christ's return to usher in the reality and the final outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls, eternal life. That's the final outcome, salvation of our souls when we're in his presence forever. And verse 23 reminds some, some need to be saved with mercy, others need to be warned with fear. So there's two different approaches there on someone who doesn't know the Lord, right? Some need mercy. Others, you put the fear of God in them because they're not getting it. They're not getting, getting it with all the patience and the tolerance and the grace and the love and the mercy you can possibly offer toward them. They're not getting it. That's when you take that next step and say, God's judgment is a true event that is coming whether you like it or not. And every one of us will stand before the judgment seat. Um, Jude's closing is one of the most beautiful in Scripture, I think. It's called a doxology. It returns now to the theme of salvation, which he hoped to write about. Remember he said, I was wanting to write you about our common salvation, but I decided to write you about something that I think we, we are dealing with right now, and that is to contend for the faith. But as he started in the first few verses of Jude, so he encourages believers in Christ now regarding Christ's protection from apostasy, our ultimate deliverance, and reinforces here the doctrine of Jesus' deity, authority, and sovereignty. Did I already? There it is. That's what I wanted. Um, let me read it from the New American Standard here. Now to him who is able... God is able to do anything, but to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy. To the only God, the only God with a capital G, I'll add, right? Because there are a lot of gods, small g, a lot of people following after false gods. To the only true God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. We'll say that a second time as we wrap up Jude. Sorry we had to go through here this so fast, but it's hard to do it on Sunday morning, but I did want to cover kind of the whole book so we can get to 2 Peter. Uh, chapter 3 particularly is fascinating next week, but just a few takeaways. Um, Jude was compelled to warn Christians to contend for the faith. He set out, I think I want to write about salvation because it's such a common, such a cool thing that we share as brothers and sisters, but these false men are coming in, so I'm going to warn them to contend for the faith against God, ungodly men and false teachers who deny the truth and pervert the grace of God. They mock or revile things they don't understand. They are clouds without water, trees without fruit, shooting stars. Jude issues a call to remember the words of the apostles and to look expectantly for the return of Christ. Yeah, amen. To him who is able to keep you. Um, let's close this in prayer. Father, we ask that um, you would continue 
to sustain us. We know that you are able to keep us from falling into deception. You are able to keep us from stumbling. And Lord, um, we trust, Lord, that you will continue to build us up in your word as we seek your face, as we try to read the scriptures. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would uh, open the eyes of our hearts and our understanding of your word, not only just so we can have the head knowledge, but so that we can apply what we know and encourage our brothers and sisters and strengthen other believers in the truth. Uh, Use us, Lord, in whatever way you will. We thank you for the faith that was once and for all handed down for us so that we could have it and to look back and learn from history, to learn from what they went through in the early church and even to learn how to respond to what's happening in your church today here in America, Lord. And uh, give us a keen eye and a sensitivity to deception so that we won't fall. They would recognize it immediately because it is a counterfeit. We thank you for your truth, and we thank you, Jesus, that we have a hope that can never be taken from us. We thank you to our only God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Uh, continue to pray for a pastor and those on the Israel trip, and dig into Second Peter before you come next week, and we'll, we'll uh, have another little study. Thank you, guys. God bless you. Have a great week.